I doubt there are very many pulpits in America today that will sound forth a message of thanksgiving the Sunday after thanksgiving. I like to be different. So I chose two Sundays for the theme because I know how hard it is for you to live what I preach on one Sunday to the next. Because it's hard enough for me. And I know how much healing there is in a thankful life. So I want that healing to flow through this church in a dynamic and powerful way. Therefore, following Thanksgiving, we are to be thankful, and I want to tell you three ways to be thankful. From the 95th Psalm, the first seven verses, we learn this great secret. Joined with the 95th Psalm, I would like to add the 103rd Psalm and the second verse in particular where the psalmist tells us to bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Don't forget what God does for you. This is a warning against forgetfulness. How often do we hear people say, I forgot. Or I seem to be having a problem as I grow older of remembering. Well, it's not only a problem for age, it's a problem for anybody. Why do we forget? Hardening of the arteries? I suppose that's a problem with some. But psychologists have tried to explain why people forget many of the things they learn, and there are many theories. One of them is when you learn something, a physical change of some kind takes place, a trace or a pattern is left in the brain. Some scientists believe that individual nerve cells have chemically coded information within them. Other scientists believe that memory is a result of some permanent change in the structure of the nerves. Then how is it we forget? Memories or the traces memory may leave in the brain simply fade away in the course of time. Thus, we forget things learned long ago before we forget things learned recently. That's why in school we learn to cram for exams. Because we forget things learned a ways away as against things learned yesterday. The way you feel about a particular experience may also decide whether you remember it or forget it. For example, you will forget the bad golf score and remember the good one because you choose to. You will remember the fish you caught and you will choose to forget the day you came back cold and wet with an empty basket. You see how we pattern our life to forget. There is one other theory and I do not bring it to you from a book. I do not bring it to you from a psychologist or a psychiatrist. This is my theory. Therefore, the most important one for this moment. My theory is gratitude and thanks are spiritual qualities. 
I have not learned that from anybody else. I have never read that in any book I've ever read. I just believe it. That gratitude and thanks are spiritual qualities, and what holds them back is selfishness and ego. A selfish life will be a life that does not express gratitude and praise. An egocentric life will be a life that will not express gratitude and praise. A talent scout started many young men and women on the way to recognition. He said they were all very eager to get a break. But do you know, looking back, I can't think of half a dozen out of all that made the grade that ever said, thank you, egocentric. A disc jockey whose program got jobs for 2,500 unemployed persons found only 10 who took the time to thank him. A famed criminal attorney, looking back over his career, and remembering the 78 men he had saved from the electric chair, said recently, and I quote him verbatim, how many do you think thanked me out of the 78? Not one. Gratitude is so rare that in Long Beach, California, a man phoned the postmaster of Long Beach to thank him for the faithful service of George, the mailman, who was retiring and who had been so good and careful with the mail, he wanted to thank the postmaster for George. The next day, his replacement came by, rang the bell of this man who had made the phone call and said, I want to thank you for calling. It was so nice of you to remember George to the postmaster. At which the man who made the call said, I'm surprised that you would know. How is it that you would know about my phone call to the postmaster? Oh, sir, he said, the whole post office knows. You get the point, I'm sure. When Stan Musial bowed out of baseball to which he had given much, before the mics and the cameras in St. Louis on that day, he said unashamedly, I want to thank God for giving me the talent I have had and the good health I've been blessed with. Humble men, unselfish men, thank God and thank people. It is a spiritual exercise. So at this Thanksgiving time, I want you to know it's important for us to be thankful and that it be every day, not just one holiday, through the years to come. Should Jesus tarry, we should be thankful people. I remember my early Thanksgivings, do you? We were poor, we didn't have a car, I rode the bus to the Turkey Day football games. That was a big event. Stadium versus Lincoln. I was from Lincoln. Big games, big days. Back home for the meal, which was never turkey that I can remember. Ray, do you ever remember having turkey when we were boys? I never remember it. 
I don't know if we did, but I don't remember it. I remember a lot of other stuff. That's why I cannot pray over leftovers. I ate them for so long. If they have been blessed once, that's enough for me. No turkey that I remember. A lot of soup. Run through twice. Then I got to high school and was the band president. And I remember putting on my beautiful uniform, black and gold. The plume at the top of the hat was the crown. It was glorious to see. I was four feet, 11 inches, 95 pounds of power. Marching in the mud on Turkey Day. Once I remember it was so bad my shoes almost came off in the mud. Then back home to the meal, and it was a glorious time, games with the family. Then I went to Bible college and went into ministry and got my own family, and I started early in my ministry a Thanksgiving Day service of worship. Thursday, there were a thousand people here worshiping. It was beautiful. What a glorious service we had Thursday morning. That's become my tradition now. And then with the family and the joy of being together, gratefulness, it's good that we remember. The singer of Israel teaches us in this psalm how to be thankful lest we forget the benefits of God. How is it that we are to be thankful? How can we always be thankful? Are you ready? Three ways. He talks about them here. You would never find them. That's why you have a pastor to dig all of this stuff out for you. Isn't that wonderful? That's why I get paid. Now, I've got your attention. Number one. Remember who God is, and you will always be thankful. Look at verse 3. Oh, it's choice. It starts by saying, He is a great God. And then he goes on to remind us that his hand are the deep, or in his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his, the sea is his. He made it, and his hands formed the dry land. He is a great God. And yet there are some here today, and some who watch me by television, who think he's a little God. He's not able. He doesn't care. He is able, and he does care. He's a great God. His bank will never be busted. A little washerwoman reminded a person of that one day. The bank had closed. My earthly store had vanished from my hand. I felt there was no sadder one than I in all the land. My washerwoman, too, had lost her little mite with mine. And she was singing as she hung the clothes upon the line. How can you be so gay, I asked. You're lost, don't you regret? Yes, ma'am, but what's the use to fret? God's bank ain't busted yet. I felt my burden lighter grow. Her faith I needed to share. In prayer, I went to God's great throne and laid my troubles there. The sun burst from behind the clouds in golden splendor set. 
I thank God for her simple words. God's bank ain't busted yet. And now I draw rich dividends more than my hand can hold of faith and love and hope and trust and peace of mind untold. I thank the giver of it all, but still I can't forget my washerwoman's simple words. God's bank ain't busted yet. O oh, weary one upon life's road, when everything seems drear and losses loom on every hand and skies seem not too clear, throw back your shoulders, lift your head and cease to chafe and fret. Your dividends will be declared. God's bank ain't busted yet. Amen and amen. He is a great God. What are you so worried about? He spoke and the worlds were framed. In the early going, men thought they'd build a tower that would reach to heaven. And God confounded them, scattered them and confused their language because he is a great God and he will share his glory with no one. Nebuchadnezzar built Babylon and said, isn't this great? Look what I have done. And God drove him to the fields to teach him about a great God. Belshazzar drank wine out of the sacred vessels that had come from the temple in Jerusalem. And God wrote on the wall, you're weighed in the balances. Belshazzar, you will be found wanting. And his knees smote together for fear. And God proved to Babylon he is a great God. In Acts 12, Herod the king thought he would take the head of Peter, put him in prison. The angel set him free. Herod puts himself on a throne, makes a great oration. The people say it's the voice of a God, not of a man. God smites him from the throne. Worms eat his body while Peter's out preaching the gospel because God won't share his glory, not even with a Herod. He is a great God over all God. And we need to remember who he is. When you remember who he is, you're not going to go around dejected. You get up in the morning and remind yourself, he is a great God. The whole world is his. Then when you read the second phrase, a great king above all gods, you're reminded of Paul's words to the Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 14 of the second letter. He always causeth us to triumph in Christ. It's like he's out in front of the whole army and he has all of the weapons and all of the array of a soldier on and he's out there leading in the battle. And Paul says he always causeth us to triumph. The army of God never loses, always triumphing in Christ. That's why he said a great king above all gods. Things get a little confusing and muddled at times, but our God always triumphs. 32,000 promises in his book called the Bible, all given to the king's kids. 32,000 of them. His seed shall not be seen begging bread. All things work together for good to those that love him. He is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we are asked able to ask or think, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. There are three reasons why our king is able to supply and lead us into triumph, you see. 
He has the resources of earth to draw on. The whole world is his. He also has the resources of heaven. Philippians 4.19 tells us it's not according to the banks of the U.S., but according to the bank of heaven. According to his riches in glory. Not U.S. Glory. Not the European market. Glory. He owns all of heaven. And he can provide according to the bank of heaven. And thirdly, God can afford to spend lavishly for us. Have you ever gone out to try to count the stars? I did it once and about went nuts. I didn't know if they were moving or if I was getting expanded vision, but I never got to the end. I didn't know how to mark where I started and where I was going to finish. I don't remember how high I got, but it expanded my mathematical genius. You know why? He is a great God! And there are so many stars out there, you could never count them all. Then what about the universes beyond the stars? Ooh. And we're going to get to see them all someday from his point of view. He's a lavish God. I think I learned that the best one time up in the Northwest when this fellow wanted me to go fishing with him, and I hate the fish. Don't ever ask me to fish. I do not have the patience. But this fellow was unsaved. His wife was in our church, and she thought if I could be with him more, he'd get saved. <laughs> isn't that funny? Just isn't that easy. But I thought, well, it's worth a try. So, oh, Ed, he was about six feet five. He's a big dude. And I found out too late that his idea of having fun was to get up at 3 in the morning first. That was a bummer. You head out in the dark of night with his dumb basket and all this paraphernalia, and he heads up into the hills and arrives at daybreak, and then you get to walk two miles. Terrific fun. Woods, brush, damp. But after a while, we broke through, and there was the most gorgeous scene I've ever beheld, a lake, a beautiful lake that few people had ever laid their eyes on. Ed knows where they all are, I'm convinced. And here was this lake. There wasn't a pop can around. There wasn't a cup laying anywhere. It was so pure and beautiful, I almost gasped. The lavish God. See, he stuck it way up there where only crazy people could go. <laughs> if it had been down in the normal area, there would have been hot dog stands all over the place. They would have been selling worms and pot and stuff would have been everywhere. The lake would have been filled with cups. But not up there, no. Beautiful. God is so lavish, he just sticks them all over, and we haven't even seen the half of them. Well, we fished there a while, and then he, oh, Ed, big smile, he's so happy. We'll walk some more. 
and I have to cross this river on this log. And I look down at the river rushing beneath me. I'm the man of God. I can't die in a river. <laughs> but I had to walk across that log. Oh, God, give me, give me strong legs and don't let me look down. So I made it across. That's obvious. Then we fished down the river. I, heard, I learned that's what you do. You fish down, which means you got to get up to the start of it. Oh, that's what just about killed me. But we're going down now, and I thought, this will be easy until I come to the spot along the edge of the river. You can't walk anymore. Or you go right in the middle of the river. No side, just cliff. Guess what? Climb the cliff. Through jungle, I couldn't even see in there. I was pulling these bushes apart, and about to take a step and look down. The river was right below me, hundred feet down. Finally, got down to the river again. I got back at dusk. I looked the sight. Three scrubby fish. Almost lost my life twice. <laughs> I will remember till I die throwing myself on the seat of that car in absolute exhaustion, but in great gratitude. When he dropped me off, I said, thanks, Ed, been a great day. <laughs> the only salvation, two things, I saw the lavishness of God and Ed, did come to Christ. He did get saved. He is serving God today, but still fishing. He is a great God and a great King above all gods. He's lavish. Now, verse 7, He is our God. That's the story of Christmas. This tree. John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's not some ethereal something out here. He is our God. He walks where we walk. There's a little line in one of the Christmas songs that goes, Jesus became Mary's little boy. Our God. C.M. Ward, for 25 years, the revival time evangelist, was visiting in a man's beautiful home, and he was complimenting him on the home. When the man said, Brother Ward, I drank up and wasted three and a half homes like this before Christ cleansed the hell and moral rot out of my life. He is our God. He comes down to redeem us. He comes down to fill us with His Holy Spirit. He is our God. If you remember who He is, you will always be thankful. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Galatians 2.20 Paul said He gave Himself for me. Our God. That's the first of three ways to be thankful. 
Have you got it? Do you have it written in your mind and in your heart? Remember who God is. Secondly, remember who you are. It's in verse 7. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Translated simply, we are his sheep and he is our shepherd. We are all his sheep. Now as his sheep, we need to learn two things. Simple. One is to praise him at all times. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Psalm 103. The next psalm begins this way. Bless the Lord, O my soul. As though we could forget after Psalm 103 that that's the thing we are to do. But the next psalm starts the same way. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We do forget. That's why the emphasis this morning. Psalm 9, verse 1. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous work. Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's what we do as his sheep. We praise the shepherd for who he is and what he does. Then secondly, we yield to him. We go where he says. We follow him. Now to illustrate that, let's use Pharaoh for one. Pharaoh told Moses, the man of God, that the Israelites couldn't leave Egypt. Moses yielded to God. He said, I'm just going to do what God says. And when he told Pharaoh that, Pharaoh reminded him that he had talked to all his wizards and wise men and that Moses couldn't go. But Moses said, we're leaving. And they left. Two million of them walked out of Egypt. Pharaoh missed them so much that he sent his whole army out to bring them home. But the army got caught in a river, and we haven't heard of them since. Yield. Oh, how hard it is to yield, to just follow him through the Red Seas of this life. One day, 135,000 Midianites on camels came to take over the land. God said to Gideon, what are you doing today, Gideon? He said, well, nothing but hiding. Just hiding. God said, how would you like to have the nation back? Gideon thought that would be a good idea, so God said, okay. You know God says okay? He does. Now, in King James, it gets all goofed up, but it's okay. Here's what you do. Get 300 trumpets, 300 pots, and 300 candles. And you can have it back. But you'll have to trust me, Gideon. So 300 men took 300 pots, 300 candles, and 300 trumpets. The Midianites were out there, 135,000 of them, making all kinds of plans. But Gideon just followed Yahweh. That's the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. I wonder if that's where we get Yahweh from. It's good enough for me in my simple theology. Yahweh! And Yahweh sent them out there with 
300 trumpets and 300 pots and 300 candles and all 135,000 Midianites were defeated because Gideon yielded to God. Isn't that simple? All you have to do as a sheep is two things. Praise Him and yield to Him. And you'll have victory. And you'll live triumphantly. Remember who you are. His sheep. That makes you different than anybody else in this world. And then finally, as I continue to close, <laughs> remember to pass it on. That's the last thing you've got to remember. Remember who God is. Remember who you are. And remember to pass it on. Notice how the psalm begins. I do this because I spit on myself. I hope you don't mind that. And I know it looks bad on television, so I have to wipe it off sometimes. <laughs> Notice how the psalm begins. Sing! Make a joyful noise. Come with thanksgiving. Sounds are to be heard in the land. And not sounds like we hear these days. Sounds of praise. Sounds of thanksgiving. A joyful noise. Not this news business. But everything is bad. And getting worse, you have to pass it on. I don't know if you read this in the paper. An extraordinary message from a teenage cancer victim, Ann Landers' column, Schenectady, New York. I like to say that, Schenectady. It's a good sound. His name was Kevin, high school student. He wrote this before he died and left it to be found after he was gone. He said, if I were back on earth walking among you, I would want to express my thanks to the doctors and nurses at Ellis Hospital who attended me and made sure I did not suffer any unnecessary pain during my illness, to all my school friends for your concern and kindness for the many visits you made to the chapels and churches to pray for me. For the many hours you spent in the hospital helping to cheer me up and lift the spirits of my family. For the memorial services you held on the steps of Draper High School the day I left this earth. To all who came by the funeral home to pay their last respects, I stopped counting when the number reached 400. You see what he did? He wrote this and left this blank. And his sister filled in the number after she found the letter. 400 guests came by in the funeral home. To all who sent cards and sympathy letters, they were so helpful. To you, dear friends and neighbors who cooked all that delicious food and baked those wonderful pastries, your goodies just about covered every flat surface in our home. How I wish I could have tasted some of them. To the thoughtful friends, relatives, and neighbors who sent donations to charities in my name, and all oh, those gorgeous flowers, what a beautiful array. It was almost as if I was back in the Hawaiian Islands again, a place I truly love. Many of the plants and flowers are now in our home, being tenderly cared for by my grandmother. He was raised by his grandparents. 
To those who made up the funeral cortege, what a sight that was. There were over 30 vehicles. His sister filled that in. One after the other, all with their lights on. What a great send-off. I loved it. To my family, Kelly, Celia, Gina, and Katie, I am proud to have been your one and only brother. I'm sorry I had to leave you, but I know you will all grow up to be good citizens and a credit to your grandparents. To Graham and Grandpa, thanks for everything. Too bad God called me just when I was reaching the age when I could have been a help to you. I realized a long time ago that you were exceptional people. I was a lucky guy to be your grandson to all. This isn't the end. We are sure to meet again. I'll be on hand waiting when you arrive. We'll take up where we left off. Kevin Dolan, 1964-1981. To pass it on. That's the way God intended it to be. And yet that is so often the way it is not. In my column in the mailer some weeks ago, and I was reminded of it as someone gave me another copy from a different source this week, about the legend of a wealthy man who built a beautiful church for his community. But he put no lights in the church. How can we worship at night, they asked. Look carefully at the back of the pews, he said. At the back of each pew was a little metal holder. What's the holder for? He told them it was for a little bronze lamp which was going to be given to each person and the lamp would be hooked into the holder of each pew. Now they understood. But what if one of us is not in worship some Sunday night? He said, your place will be dark and empty. So often we live and say, oh, it doesn't matter whether I'm there or not. Nobody will ever know. Pastor Cole can't see anyway because of the lights in his eyes. It won't matter. It won't matter if I teach that class. Somebody else can do it. It won't matter if I'm at my usher station or in the choir. It won't. It does matter. Every time you absent yourself from the company of the committed, there's an empty holder and a light that's not shining. And it is, in my opinion, the thing that brings more backsliding and lets into our lives more sin and more corruption than anything I've ever observed. Our lack of commitment to passing it on, to serving, to giving. I know of no way to express thankfulness any better than by getting involved by serving, by hanging your light out for men to see. So the psalmist reminds us in this psalm of these three beautiful things. Remember who God is. Remember who you are. And remember, you must pass it on. In the vestibule of the church, we have these little brochures which tell you why we praise as we do here at Capital Christian Center. Why do we raise our hands? Why do we sing? Why do we do all the things we do? If you don't have one of those, you ought to pick it up. And you ought to start entering in because it has to do with passing it on. 
of blessing God and blessing others as we come week by week to do the only thing I know to do that will keep us walking where we need to walk and doing the thing we need to do to remember who God is, to remember who we are, and to remember to pass it on. And it's a message I leave you on this Sunday after Thanksgiving so that we all might practice it in the weeks and months ahead. God is glorified when we do these things. And it is exactly what our Lord Jesus would do. He were here in flesh among us. Have you got it? It will make a new person out of you. It will bless the world. And it will honor God. Let's stand together now as we pray it into our hearts. And all of you watching us by television, pray it into your heart. Seal it in your spirit. Some of you have not been in a house of worship for months and even years to say thank you, God, and to acknowledge who God is. Acknowledge today. Bow your head. Lift your heart to the God who made you gives you daily blessing and benefit. Loves you. Love him back. Now, Father God, we don't deserve it, but bestow upon us your mercy and your grace. We do not merit your favor, but we know that you delight to give it to us through Christ, heaven's sacrifice for our folly. Hallelujah. We are his sheep. So we follow. Teach us to praise you, Lord, at all times and in all circumstances. Teach us to remember who you are and who we are and to pass it on every day through the joyousness of our own life. And Father, for those who may be with us today who have not received Christ into their life, may they receive him now. And as our heads are bowed, and before I finish my prayer, may I ask how many of you would like to raise a hand and say, Pastor Cole, I need Jesus in my life. I need to ask him to forgive me of my sins and become this day my Savior.